Welcome into the Bear Down Podcast right here on the ESPN Chicago app. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdal. You can listen to our show weeknights from 6 to 8 right here on ESPN 1000. And Adam, we get a chance today to talk to an old friend, Mike Golick Jr., Got a chance to stop by the podcast. Uh, It was only a few years ago, Chris, where we were outside of Goose Island kicking field goals (laughs) in a winter storm with Mike after the double doink. Check out Mike's new podcast, The Gojo Show, which you can find on Apple and Spotify. Follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Golick Jr. And we started the conversation by talking Bears and Justin Fields with a new coaching staff and the new front office, new offense with Luke Getze. What's the outlook for Justin Fields here in year two? Man, um... Hopeful because, and I think we've already seen this through the course of the preseason, right? This is an offense that now finally seems set to make use of some of the great skills that Justin Fields brought from being a stud prospect coming out of Ohio State. I think so much of the frustration last year with Matt Nagy was it felt like there was almost an active move away from the things that Justin Fields brought to the table as a player The biggest concern I have is that those gifts may still be stymied by protection up front because that's still going to be a work in progress. We've seen that even when the Bears have tried to dedicate extra resources, get more max protect stuff in there, it's been a struggle right now. And so I think that's the biggest thing that you want to watch is making sure that for Justin Fields this year, there's a focus to try and put him in place to make him succeed. And then for Fields, a focus on his process and that doesn't let any of the things around him affect his development because we see this all the time. If quarterbacks are dealing with way too much pressure, it forces them into bad habits. They internalize a lot of that stuff. And that's the last thing you want for a quarterback with as much promise as him. Luke Getze comes over from Green Bay to be the offensive coordinator. And what we've been noticing in preseason is that they're kind of of scheming away from that bad offensive line. And we've seen the Texans do it with Deshaun Watson before. We've seen the Packers do it with Aaron Rodgers when they get him on the move. Is that going to kind of be the game plan for him to have the most success is move that pocket and kind of be on the run most of the time? Yeah, I think it has to be. And I think you've seen over the years in the NFL because we know this system that's now gone, you know, was born in Washington and spread out to Atlanta and San Francisco and Los Angeles and now in Green Bay and out here. Like, it's all predicated, yes, on moving the launch point for a quarterback here. And it's not just when you think of these bootleg passes where guys are out throwing on the run. You'll see them find a bunch of creative ways getting the offensive line to get defenses to move and run and then just changing that spot for Justin Fields. And that alone can be a lot to keep defenders honest while they've got to try and account for this. Part of that means you're also going to need to probably run the ball more effectively than we've seen as of late. But yeah, I think we can expect to see a lot of that. And the good news is Justin Fields is an incredible athlete. And one of the strengths he had at Ohio state was his ability to deliver really accurate passes outside of the pocket and on the run. Mike, take us inside what it's like to play on the offensive line. In your experience, were you ever in a situation where maybe the collective unit wasn't as good as it maybe should have been, and so you guys as a unit had to scheme up some ways or maybe come together as an offensive line and say, okay, this is what we need to do to make sure we're stable and we protect our quarterback in this game. Were you ever in an experience like that? Yeah, I mean, and listen, I was an offensive lineman that even when I was on better groups, I was certainly the lesser talented offensive lineman or one that had to kind of at times admit my flaws and know when to ask for help. And and that's kind of just getting to know your group, right, is 
an offensive line, even if maybe you're a little bit below the standard, if you've got five guys that have a decent amount of time to stay healthy and be on the field together, you can develop enough chemistry and understand, all right, these are the areas that have been hurting us. Let's make sure we account more help for that spot. I can help my buddy a little bit more. Maybe the offense can scheme tight ends over on that side of the field to give us a little bit of help, do some things. I think for me especially, as an undersized offensive lineman and one who wasn't going to hold up in one-on-one pass protection as well, when you see a lot of these schemes that are based off of that outside zone stretch run play that allows you to get guys moving and then on pass plays have that same effect, it's a huge help because for an undersized guy, you can focus on speed and athleticism. You can get guys out there on the move, but it also kind of, I'd say softens the margin of error that you have if you were just doing, you know, take what we saw from the 40, or excuse me, from the Los Angeles Rams last year. A lot of drop back passing. They had a good offensive line they could count on, a quarterback they thought could handle it. There's a lot higher margin for error when you want to throw with that kind of volume without moving the pocket, without giving these guys up front a little bit of added extra help whether that is running backs and tight ends chipping or just the movement on the plays. For those football fans who don't really understand what the, the run zone scheme is, what the X's and O's behind that, what does that mean for someone who's watching an NFL game that the Bears are now going to implement this and that this is what the kind of idea offensively for the Bears, especially with the run game, is going to be? Yeah, so I, I think the whole idea is – you can generally attack defenses two ways, right? You can go right at them or you can try and move them from side to side. And this offense is about using the width of the field, right? It's saying we're our offensive line. We think we've got guys that can be athletic. We think that we have running backs that have good vision and can make plays. And so we just want to get our guys turning and running as fast as they can. Because for the defense, then all of a sudden now, they've not only got to react fast and try and get out there physically, but they've also got to be ready to put the brakes on. And that's the advantage for us as an offense, right? If we want to go fast and stretch out the picture a little bit, we know where things are supposed to go. The defense is trying to figure that out on a bit of a delay after the snap. And so I think athletically it gives you an advantage there. Uh, I think if you've got young, you know younger, lighter guys, it's an easier system to pick up. There's a bunch of nuances in it, but at the end of the day, It's just about, all right, especially in today's NFL where everyone's so focused on the pass, maybe we can spread you out even more and create some easy rushing lanes by going a little more side-to-side than directly downhill at a defense. Tevin Jenkins comes in last year, didn't play a lot because of his uh, back injury, and then he's holding out, not really holding out, but is upset with the Bears the first uh, few weeks of camp, and then he comes back and they're moving him to right guard now, and it looks like he's going to be starting at right guard. What's that transition like, and how long can it take a player to acclimate to that position? Yeah, it's really just getting used to timing and space, because when you think about the world of tackle where he came from, there's a lot more of both. You're usually dealing with wider rushers. You're usually dealing with having a whole open side outside of you where that part of the defense is. And so everything's just going to happen a little bit quicker for Tevin Jenkins and kind of knowing his game and what it was predicated on when he was coming out of Oklahoma state. This is a guy where, you know, physicality, attitude, violence were all the things that were associated with him. And so it provided that he's got, the rest of that stuff handled and there's no more anxiousness between him and the team off the field or at the very least it just gets buried by football season I think this could be a good move for him Uh, the difficulty with guys making the move from tackle into guard is always some guys on the edge aren't necessarily built to be as physically dominating a presence 
as you need in more often than not at guard. And I think Tevin actually could fit pretty well in there. Things will happen a little quicker, but I think based on what we've seen from him as a player going back to college, I think he's actually able to make that change because time and space were always things he wanted to erase. He wanted to get on guys quick and take the fight to them. You get to take the fight to the defense a lot more often playing guard than tackle. We're talking football with Mike Golick Jr. here with Black Abdallah on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. As we look around the rest of the National Football League, the Bears face off against the 49ers in their opener. And the 49ers are going to start Trey Lance as their quarterback. What do you think uh, about Lance heading into this opportunity now with a team that has Super Bowl expectations? Garoppolo's kind of held them back, but he's also won a lot of football games. How do you think that's going to work with the 49ers? Yeah, it's give and take, right? I've always said Kyle Shanahan's version of the offense we've seen going around the NFL is the universal solvent for a quarterback. You can put most guys back there behind center, and they're going to be able to do pretty darn well because Kyle is a legit weapon as a play caller. He is going to scheme guys butt naked open because that offense between George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and the like has really versatile pieces. And so they can keep the same guys on the field and throw a ton of different plays at a defense to confuse them. That puts the quarterback in an easy spot most of the time. What the Niners are looking for for Trey Lance, and what I think is going to be part of this season is give and take. He's going to miss a couple of the layups along the way because he's a young player who really doesn't have a lot of football under his belt, even going back to North Dakota State, especially because of what happened in the COVID season. But what you're going to get on the top end and what we've already seen flashes of in the preseason and going back to his time there is deep passing, shot plays, big plays, and the thing I'm most excited about, adding a quarterback run element to this offense. Kyle Shanahan already has, I think, the most diverse and creative run scheme in the NFL. They do so many things well. They throw so much at a defense. And now... Now you're going to have to account for a quarterback who's not only an incredible athlete, but a really powerful runner. He's more of a Cam Newton-type runner than he would be one of these guys that wants to live on the edges. He can run downhill at you. He can run between the tackles. And I think Kyle Shanahan having that ability to create with the quarterback and keep defenses honest that way is going to be a nightmare once he gets really comfortable under center with what their plan is. Are you buying into the hype of the Lions and that they'll actually be? They, I mean, they were competitive last year. They covered a ton of Lions games. Hype. Well, there's Lions hype. They're on hard knocks. There's tons of hype. There's uh. always Lions hype. I'm not. Listen, I bought into it like two years ago, and I'm not doing it again. I refuse. I refuse until I see results. Well, that's because you saw the DVOA and you heard uh, Mina Kimes talk up the Lions. That's why. Yeah, that's why I bought into it. And I was like, damn it, Mina, you got me again. What do you think of the Lions this year? I tell you what, I'm I'm buying a little bit of the hype. And to me, it's, it's less like top-end hype, and it's more signs of progress. And while we can certainly buy it all into the things that are going on intangibly that we're seeing on Hard Knocks, there's clear buy-in from this team, and there's an identity in Detroit. And all you can ask, I think, as you're starting to build a program is that you find an identity. They're going to be a quarterback away. Jared Goff is a guy we know who he is at this point, and he's not a guy that's going to elevate you beyond the sum of your parts. He'll be good enough, and they should be a team that I think can float, especially with the way the NFC North looks this year. I think they can be a 500 football team or right around that range. I think along the lines of scrimmage, They've built something pretty darn good. Their offensive line is a group of ballers. They have a really good young group that I think has a chance to grow together into something special. Defensively, what have we seen? A coach build a team in his likeness. Aiden Hutchinson was a perfect culture fit as a pick, 
and a guy that with his skill set, motor, and production can come in right away and have an impact. They're physical on both lines of scrimmage. I think they're going to get better on the outside with some of the young guys they've drafted, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Jeff Okuda on the outside on defense. And I think once that all starts to come together, they're going to be one of these teams that either is in a position, because they're still not good enough to win a ton of games, to go out in a draft in next year or the year after where we expect some better quarterback prospects than we had this year. Or, and I think the thing that's fascinating to keep an eye on is, become a destination for another disgruntled quarterback. I keep looking out to Las Vegas and saying, Derek Carr has a big time out in his contract next year for the team. They can get out from under Derek Carr if Josh McDaniels doesn't end up liking that experience for comparatively little money. And now all of a sudden you've got a guy who on his best day is probably flirting with a top 12 or top 10 quarterback in the league that could potentially be available that I think could put Detroit in a really interesting position. And so that's just one name to kind of signify the idea that based on the way they've built this team up and built this program up, I think they could be one of those spots that ends up a quarterback away in the next couple of years. Yeah, see, because I feel like if you're 500 and you don't have an answer at quarterback, then you're not in a position to draft one of these top-end quarterbacks out of college. But it, even after the Raiders have done everything to bring in you know, Carr's best friend and, and give him all the wide receiver talent, you think he can still come out? And what if they do make a decent run this year? I, again, I think it's all going to be based on because if they make a decent run this year, but in this year's AFC, that could still wind you up outside of the playoffs, right? We're talking about an AFC West where we think we could have three teams representing from that division alone with a seven-team expanded playoff, but that kind of puts the squeeze everywhere else. That could put them on the outside looking in, and they could be a good football team. And if you don't make the playoffs, and if Josh McDaniel looks at the situation and says, I think I can do better with someone else, This is a new regime that did not bring Derek Carr in, so they're not beholden to him, and they've got a real decision to make with his contract next year. So I just think it's something to keep an eye on with him because that team just dealt the unfortunate hand of being in now the toughest division in football. And sticking with the AFC West, with Russell Wilson now with the Denver Broncos, is there an expectation that with some weapons and kind of a team that has the ability to be in the conversation of making the playoffs that Wilson will get back to that top five quarterback level that we kind of are used to talking about with him because I I feel as if people are kind of sleeping on the talent that is Russ. So I, I think what we saw over the last couple of years was a good reminder that as much as all of us wanted to let Russ cook, and as much as he is a a future Hall of Famer and one of the better quarterbacks we've seen in the last two decades or so, I think they really got away by the end from some of the areas that Russ had done really well in. And I think what you're going to see in this system is getting back to a little more of that. You know, what we saw in the last couple of years with Shane Waldron when he took over uh, coming from Los Angeles was just more drop back than we had seen and more drop back that clearly that offense could handle even with the receiving talent there. So I think we're going to get closer to what we had in the old Russ. I think the offensive line and their ability to go out and protect him there is going to be something we need to make sure we monitor because everything else around there, even with the injury to Tim Patrick, seems set up for that team to have almost immediate success on offense. A team Chris and I have been talking about that a lot of people are high on this year, the Eagles. You know, they surround Jalen Hurts with a bunch of weapons, and people are still kind of skittish on Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. We both liked him coming out of college. What do you think of the progression that Jalen Hurts has made since leaving Alabama? 
I think it's right on par with the young man that we know Jalen Hurts to be, right? I'll never forget, I got to do uh, MC the dinner the night before the Heisman, the year Joe Burrow won, and Jalen Hurts was there, and all the rest of these guys are standing around in letter jackets or team-issued polos. Jalen Hurts walks in in a cream-colored turtleneck with a jacket over the top and looks positively presidential. And when you hear about the work habits and you hear about the leadership ability behind the scenes, it all starts to add up as to why, skill set-wise, he still to me tracks as a high-end backup long-term. Because this is a league where ultimately talent tends to win out, especially at that position. And I think over a long period of time, there's going to be limitations to his game that show up. But in the meantime, as you've got an NFC East right now that's in transition, where Washington's trying to figure it out at quarterback all over again, the Giants may be coming to the end of the Daniel Jones experiment there. And the Cowboys may have missed their best window as far as the weapons around Dak Prescott, even if now he's paid. All of a sudden, you look up and go, well, Philly, when they're healthy, is built about as well as anybody along the offensive line. They've got Miles Sanders, who's a great running back in the backfield, to go along with Dallas Goddard as kind of the spine of this offense. And then on defense, if they're getting healthier, Brandon Graham is back in fighting form. Now you've added the guys from Georgia in the draft, and you just start to look all over the field and go, all right, now that this team is a bit healthier again, they've got a quarterback that's going to be a bona fide run threat and make that rushing attack really scary. And I think big wide receivers in a team that understands their identity around that. So I'm very high on the Eagles, even if I don't think that Jalen Hurts is the long-term answer at quarterback. You know, it's funny because we are uh, supporters of Jalen Hurts. And, and I think originally you see him play and you're like, oh, that's probably not a starting quarterback in the league. But then he continues to improve. And it, it kind of leads to this conversation that like guys can develop, right? They can change kind of the narrative. And there also is a narrative around another quarterback, Baltimore's quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I think a lot of people assume he's not going to be a top five guy, but he's won an MVP in the past, and now he needs a new contract. If you were running the Ravens, how would you handle that situation? Give him the money. <laughs> give, give him the damn money and end this. And like, I, I understand like a lot of things for front offices change with the Deshaun Watson deal. I think that being fully guaranteed and knowing if you're another player and another quarterback that's in range, and to be clear, Lamar Jackson has accomplished far more than Deshaun Watson has in this league, full stop. Like, that's the case that he can point to on paper and with the results of that football team. And so if he's saying, yeah, that guy with 24 allegations and civil suits of sexual assault off the field can come in and command guaranteed money across the board, then me, a player that you've loved right. since I drafted you, that's come in and outperformed my draft status. Remember, they took Hayden Hurst at tight end before him, who no longer plays for that football team. Took him in the first round before Lamar Jackson. I've outperformed. I've gotten us a playoff win. I've won an MVP. So I can understand the price going up makes them uncomfortable, but this may just be the world that we're living in at quarterback. And I think stability there for Lamar Jackson is huge because they've shifted their entire identity as a team around him. The way that they've drafted and developed in that program is with Lamar Jackson and his incredible skill set at that position in mind. And so I don't think you could afford to kind of start to play funny business with this because then you get into the world of the franchise tag and all these weird things that pop up. And all that is year after year is a conversation hanging over your head, a contract that is less malleable and less helpful to the team because we see these usually age pretty well for teams that know what they've got at quarterback. And so I wouldn't do the dance much longer. Lamar Jackson is another one of those guys put on 10 pounds of solid muscle this offseason. By all accounts, is passing the ball as well as they've seen from him in a Ravens uniform in camp. 
you did the hard job of retooling a lot of your offensive line around him. And I just don't know why you'd want to mess with that formula right now when you've got a chance in a post-Ben Roethlisberger world and one where, all right, yeah, the Bengals made huge strides last year, but a repeat is no guarantee. You want to take the bull by the horns and get back to the top of this division, and there's only one guy that's going to help you do that. Moving on to college football, I mean, we've had you on in the past. We've talked a lot of college football, and as someone who's an alumnus of Notre Dame, that Notre Dame, you basically bleed green. You and your family bleed, bleed green. Uh, what do you think of what Marcus Freeman's doing at Notre Dame? I think that so far he has done everything you could have possibly wanted from a football coach because Notre Dame is a job that requires a lot of work outside of just being a football coach, right? Obviously, the recruiting Marcus has been aces on. Interacting with alumni, making former players come back and feel welcome. I I think he's checked every box you could want there and done it at a pace that no one could have predicted. Now he's just got to go out and win games. And I I think for me, Marcus has been really impressive because he got buy-in from the players in his first 11 months in a way that is uncommon. All the reaction videos of the world and what you hear coming out of that building is just the connection he made with the players. They've got a different foundation than the one me and my teammates had when Brian Kelly took over in 2010. We had not won five straight seasons of double-digit wins. We didn't have that knowledge of what it took to get to that level. This team does. They've got veteran players that understand that. They're here to raise the ceiling. And that might not happen this year. Wide receiver position's thin. Quarterback and Tyler Buckner is a guy who's played some football but hasn't been the full-time guy yet. And they've got a pretty hard schedule starting off with Ohio bleeping state in week one. So <laughs> I would say this is a team with probably an eight-win floor. I don't think there should be any panic if that is the end result for this season. And then I think anything from there is just going to be based on what Tyler Buckner is able to provide you now as the full-time guy and as a passer behind that, what should be one of the most improved units in the country in the Notre Dame offensive line this year. In this offseason, what would you make of all the different uh, realignment uh, pieces? USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten for next season. And then obviously all of the rumors that come along with this concept that the SEC and the Big Ten are basically going to try and swallow up any decent to good program around college football to kind of create these two conferences that kind of go head to head. What do you make of the way college football is heading? Well, I, I think college football's only constant has always been change in my lifetime. Conferences have been growing, folding, rearranging since I was a little kid. So this isn't necessarily new. And I think it's something that for a lot of us who have worked around college football, there's always been these whispers about the potential of a sort of Champions League-like super conference right. and that maybe even eventually we'd break away from the academic model. And you're starting to hear, you know, the college football playoff committee got together and talked about FBS football breaking away from the NCAA. We've heard conference commissioners talk about realignment out loud. I think the pace is going to slow down because I think the one thing now, if you're the SEC and the big 10, we know the big 10 just signed that massive seven year, $8 billion TV deal. That's a multi-network deal after the acquisition of USC and UCLA. You don't want to just add for the sake of adding now because you're still trying to maximize dollar value for your members. And they've got a pretty good split right now. I thought the interesting reporting that I saw coming out, I think it was the Sports Business Journal, said the only thing that we could kind of take away from the Big Ten contract is there is a caveat if Notre Dame should choose to join the conference that basically raises the dollar amount of that deal and has set dollar amounts and things that would be provisioned if Notre Dame wanted to do that, because they would add massive value. And there's no exception for any other team. 
So even as we hear rumors about Oregon potentially kicking the tires on this and any interest from these other teams, right now it seems like it's a one-team race to see if Notre Dame's going to make any moves. And besides that, I think these big conferences are going to sort of wait and assess how this landscape continues to unfold. And what do you think Notre Dame should do? (laughs) I think right now they can stay independent and feel pretty good about that. I I think you saw the amount of money that ESPN let the Big Ten's kind of B package walk for. And so I think looking at that, if you're Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick, you say, all right, if 13 okay Big Ten games are worth that amount of money, what are seven Notre Dame home games fall worth to you? What kind of dollar amount can that command? And so as long as they can get within range, because we know these Big Ten teams are going to be taken home between you know, 95 and $100 million a year. If you're Notre Dame, and I, you know, we've heard that number $75 million reported by CBS Sports before, if you're in range, Notre Dame's always taken less to stay independent because they've had access to the championship. And as we look at the playoff development, we hear about expansion. And one of the most important statements from this offseason came from Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren, who said, and I'm you know, quote, uh, loosely you know, quoting here, kind of paraphrasing, but he softened his stance on the idea of automatic qualifiers, that if you won your conference, you would get an automatic spot in whatever the new expanded playoffs is. Well, if you're not doing automatic qualifiers, guess who that's stock up for? Notre Dame, who now if you're in a 10- or 12-team playoff, you right. know, an 18- or 12-team playoff, now you've got all these added spots where before you had to be undefeated or have one really good Clemson-like loss, now you could be a one-loss Notre Dame team, maybe even a two-loss Notre Dame team with the kind of schedule they usually play, and you've still potentially got access to the playoffs. So I think with those developments, it paves the way for Notre Dame to maintain independence until we get to another bigger round of realignment that may be further down the road. It's the first time we've talked to you since you started up the podcast, the Gojo podcast on Apple and Spotify. Congratulations, and, and are you enjoying doing a podcast over live radio every single day? You know what? And they're very different, man. And I appreciate the congrats. Everyone download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcast. Obviously. I've gotten very good at saying that <laughs> almost as easy as I used to come back and reset on radio. So right. different tools, same belt kind of situation. But no, it, it's been good. It's been awesome. I have, you know, one of my former teammates in Brandon Newman is my producer and the other voice on the podcast. And getting to do it with someone that I have so much years of built up trust with has been super helpful as this has been a change. And then I, I think just trying something new, I, I've been so fortunate and I have nothing but good things to say about my time at ESPN. I got to try a lot of different things. I started off and cut my teeth in radio. I got to do some TV. I got to call games. I got to work on the digital department as that group, but I never got to work in podcasts. And so getting to kind of reset how I think about content through this lens has been a ton of fun. We've gotten to talk to a ton of the great people that I've met over the years working around this industry now. And uh, I think that's been cool. And to be back somewhere where I can talk day to day about sports as we get ready to head into football season is all any of us could ask for. Well, you're killing it and uh, we enjoy uh, listening. So thank you for taking some time today for us. Uh, Black Abdallah here on ESPN 1000. We really appreciate it, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Anytime, fellas. You guys are the best. Always appreciate it.